want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio outreach of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Four Pillars of Vertical Church, and today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Pillar 2, the Gospel of Jesus. Let's rejoice in Jesus. I want to talk for just a moment about the great switch. Why do these facts matter? Well, when you think about the cross of Jesus Christ, and I've been talking about wrath, I want you to think about where you start life seated. You start life seated as a sinner under the impending judgment of God. Now, why? Well, because we're sinners and we sin and we do all kinds of things, it doesn't take us much time of honesty to acknowledge that we are sinners, that we do things that hurt people and break people's hearts and even hurt ourselves, certainly offending a holy God. Now, what should have happened is we should have received the penalty for our sin. Now, the gospel story is that Jesus came along and pushed us out of the way, and Jesus Christ himself sat on the, you could say, cross, and he sat in our seat, Jesus in my place, that on the cross, he absorbed the penalty for our sin. What we deserved, he took. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's the great switch. Over here is the seat where Jesus should be in. Jesus was righteous. He is sitting under every sort of blessing you could imagine for living a righteous life and doing all things well and honoring the Father in every way, what we would aspire to be if we were perfect, but will never be. Now, the gospel story is that Jesus took our seat under God's wrath and absorbed the judgment on the cross and in turn told us to go sit over here and to sit on his seat sitting under what we call imputed righteousness, that on our account, instead of sin and all the things we've done and bankrupt beyond bankrupt, we sit under the bank account of Jesus Christ and all of his righteousness is to our account. And so if you ever find yourself feeling worthless, how could a God ever love me? When he looks at you, he's looking at what Jesus has done. And Jesus has accomplished everything perfectly on your behalf. That's the gospel and the love of God. Jesus, in my place, we are new creatures in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. So what, pastor? What am I supposed to do about the gospel? I see these relational terms. I see these facts about what Jesus has done on my behalf, but so what? Here's the thing that I want to talk to you about for a minute as we come through this second part of the message. You can know all this stuff and literally do nothing about it. You can be fully knowledgeable. You can know theology back and forth. You can know God's word as we study. But as I said last week, if you know God's word but don't do it, you will not get the benefit of following him in any way. Now think about this for a moment. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ the work of Jesus, you can either live with the gospel as the center of your life or you can make it the periphery out there somewhere in the universe on the, you know, the far reaches of my, the galaxy that is my life. I put the gospel out there. I'm still functionally doing things my own way. I may have embraced Jesus as my savior and Lord. He is my, I found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but I functionally treat him and the gospel like he's out there in the periphery. That's a problem. 
That's essentially this work that Jesus Christ did. You're essentially saying, ah, it was good. It was good one day, but it's not really relevant to me all the time. I want to go back to the text. If you have your Bible, go back to Ephesians. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 8. So what do we do with the gospel? I'm going to give you five things that we need to think about as we think about whether we're gospel-centered people, whether we're living in the gospel whether you've even embraced the gospel. Verse eight says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Why don't you jot this down first, the gospel of Jesus, receive it by faith. If you're here today and you're like, I've heard a lot about Christians, I think there might be something there but I, I'm pretty convinced that I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm, I'm living outside the gospel. I, I have never experienced relationship with the eternal God. Today can be the day that you can embrace it. Okay, I would love to pray with you after the service to help you begin a relationship with the living God today. We embrace what Jesus has done by faith. Think about it this way. A, B, C. You need to admit that you're a sinner and that you could not save yourself, Scripture says. Then we need to believe on the Lord Jesus and all that he has done on the cross, his resurrection. And then you need to commit to him and need to follow him and make him Lord and Savior. You can do that today. You know the worst thing that you could tell me after this service? The worst thing you could tell me after this service is, Pastor, that was an amazing message. You have so inspired me to live a better life. You will have gone right around exactly what I've said. The truth is, what I'm talking about today in the gospel is not something you should be inspired to go do on your own. You can't, you never could. The gospel of Jesus Christ is realizing I cannot do it on my own and I need a holy God to rescue me and he loves me and he wants to. Are you willing to embrace Jesus by faith? Maybe you've already embraced Jesus by faith. Many of us here have. I don't want you to stay there. The gospel must be received and applied daily. I want you to think of the gospel like this. It's like a wedding. I've done a number of weddings. I love doing weddings. But think about the gospel. As a day, we celebrate it, we embrace Jesus, we experience the joy, the Holy Spirit is in us, we have renewed relationship with God, we have hope for the future, and hope in the present, and all of that. But then what? Now imagine with me that if, I, if I, I've done you know, a number of weddings, and imagine with me that I, I performed a wedding to a couple, we'll call them Tom and Sally. And it's such a beautiful wedding and so honoring to the Lord and the couple is clearly in love and they're so excited for that day. They've been planning that day for nine months in four days, I know. They've been planning that day and then six weeks later, I'm, I'm out drinking coffee, reading my Bible, working on a sermon or something and I, I run into Tom and I say, hey Tom, how you doing? How's, how are you and Sally doing? How is it going? And he turns to me and goes, Sally, I need to catch up with her. I haven't seen her for a couple weeks. Wait, what? You just got married six weeks ago. I was there. You were so in love, and now you haven't talked to her in four weeks? What is going on? 
Now, here's the thing about weddings that we all understand. It's a very special day with implications for every day for the rest of my life. Now, that's what the gospel does. It changes us in a very special day when we embrace Jesus Christ, but it has implications for every day for the rest of your life. And if you've stopped thinking about the gospel as something other than just a day where you celebrated Jesus and then you go do your own thing, for the, that'd be like the same thing of Tom doing his own thing. God wants relationship with us. Let's talk about a couple of ways that we can see that. The gospel of Jesus is we receive it by faith, then we rest in it. We rest in it. On the way to Grace Group this week, we were pulling into the neighborhood of the house where we, another couple hosts, small group. And we passed this sign, which I so caught my attention, that I asked Jensen to send me an email with it. We passed this sign that said, traffic calming ahead. I'm not sure about you, but traffic and calming have never been a thought that go together in my mind. I'm not sure if that's false advertising. The thought went through my mind. I mean, there's a lot of things that can calm me down, but traffic has never really been one of those. It made me think about traffic calming and just having fun with this. It made me think, have any of those people in the Department of Transportation ever experienced traffic? Why are they putting traffic calming together? Now, you can look into this on your own. There's a whole traffic calming toolbox. I got an education in how we can... When I think of traffic, I think of the worst of humanity, including occasionally myself. Stress and pressure and, and, and people exchanging hand signals and, and things do, that we do that are the worst of humanity for split-second moments and sometimes beyond that. Fighting, meeting somebody on the side of the road so they can duke out who should have had the right of way. Think about the worst of humanity. I mean, if you want a place to see the depravity of man, traffic is probably your place. The traffic really not only brings out the worst in us, it reminds us of the pressure and chaos. But I want you to take, think back to the gospel. What about our lives what about our shame? What about our past? What about the things that some of us have said to other people this morning on the way to church? What about the ways that we have thought through the past week? What about all those things that we are so glad that somebody doesn't know our mind or are so regretful that somebody had to hear a piece of it? What do we do with that? Well, I want you to think about this. This would be a, a truth in advertising sign on the side of the road. Gospel calming ahead. In fact, if there was a sign I want to put outside, it would be gospel calming ahead. Resting in the gospel, resting in Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. When God looks at your life and he looks at your sin and he looks at your failures, he's got a four-letter word for you. It's called done. It's done. Jesus Christ paid the penalty on the cross for you. It's done. If I could say it a little more sarcastically, if God were to say this in a way that would jolt you a little bit, it's what part of done don't you understand? What part of done don't you understand? What part of your shame and sin are you hanging on to and holding over yourself or holding over someone else when the gospel of Jesus that God himself came in the second person of the Trinity, he died on a cross so that all your past, present, future sins would be covered forever. It's done. 
God can't do any more for you. He's done it all. Now, the next time you're wrestling with shame or the next time you're thinking about probably right now as I'm saying it, you need to write that word done over that thought. You need to brand the word done on those shameful memories that you have. You need to experience the power of the gospel. You need to rest in Jesus Christ. Some of us struggle with that in different ways. All of us struggle with it in some ways. I love this book. It's called The Gospel Primer by a man named Milton Vincent. Just a little book. You could read it in probably four minutes. But what he did is he compiled a list of things that are the result of the gospel that we need to remind ourselves. I love what Jerry Bridges wrote at the beginning. He said, to use the expression, we must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. For me, that means I keep going back to the scriptures, such as Isaiah 53, 6, Galatians 2, 20, and Romans 1, 8. It means I frequently repeat the words of an old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We need to preach the gospel and rest in the gospel. He's done it for us. We, we need to rest in that. When you're thinking about the four pillars, I hope that someday when you're walking in and we have it, well, somewhere on the walls out there in that beautiful white room that needs some more color, I hope you'll be thinking about what Jesus has done for you. I'm gonna leave this here if you would like this. Somebody can just come up and grab it after the service is over. Maybe that's God's gift to you today. Let's look quickly at three more. The gospel of Jesus, we receive it by faith. We rest in it. We live in it. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church. You know, I love that you're listening to Meeting with God, but I got a question for you. Are you doing the Christian life in isolation? At Vertical Church Columbus, we live out biblical community, not only through our weekend services, but also in grace groups These small groups meet across the city weekly to encourage one another and care for one another and study God's word together. You know, if you don't have Christians around you in your journey with Christ, let me invite you to Vertical Church. Go to verticalchurch.life. One of the things you'll come to see over the course of your life if you're following him faithfully is that as the gospel becomes more sweet to you throughout your life, There's a living in it. It becomes who you are. You become different. You rest in it. You live in it. I love what Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's talking about as a saved person, living it out. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the best part. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in you to live out the gospel in every way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that we are united with Christ. Then let me give you one more. The gospel of Jesus, celebrate it. Look back in Ephesians with me. I skipped two verses here. Maybe you noticed that. Verse five comes in with, by grace you have been saved. Verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Have you ever noticed this as a kid, there's a difference in how your parents love you versus how your grandparents love you. Have you ever noticed that difference? And I'm assuming that you have good parents and, and good grandparents. You know, parents, they they love us by teaching us and molding us and 
putting up with our diapers and then putting up with our cereal bowl that we left on the, and training us and all the way into our teenage years and they're molding us and shaping us and training us and disciplining us. By God's grace, that's their purpose in our lives. But then think about grandparents for a moment. God's purpose for grandparents is to spoil us. Would you like some more chocolate on that ice cream? I mean, I know it's already chocolate ice cream, but if you'd like some chocolate on that chocolate ice cream, and then a little bit later, would you like some hot chocolate? I mean, you can't go to bed without some hot chocolate. And then, well, think about this. What other, what else? Oh, I know what we could do. We could have pancakes with chocolate. We could have pancakes with chocolate chips and some chocolate syrup. On, I'm describing my grandfather right now. And um, with some more chocolate on it. And then, you know, before you went to bed, you also noticed there was a little piece of chocolate underneath your pillow. God often feels like a parent than he is, but I want you to read verse seven because in verse seven, you realize that God is a grandparent at heart. It says, so that as a result of our salvation, as a result of God's grace, it says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That he's waiting for you like your grandparents. He's calling you saying, I'm waiting for you to get here. I can't wait for you to get here because we are going to have some fun and some chocolate together. What it's saying is that God is waiting, even though he has revealed so much good in Christ, what he's saying is there's a lot more waiting in heaven. And I can't wait till you get here because we are going to have such a great time as I just keep throwing more and more and more good things into your life and into your experience and and, and we're never going to be done with it. That's where the gospel finishes celebrate it. If you read that verse and you're not ready to sing a song, and I'm not ready yet, worship team, not yet. But when you read that, when you think about the God who loves you to that extent, there's something in you welling up going, this deserves a party. This deserves some worship. Can we sing again? Can we acknowledge the greatness of God? One more. The gospel, share it. Again, back in the text, verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is so at work in us as believers. We are his workmanship, his project that he is working on, that he is recreating us even in our sinful, broken selves and recreating us for good works. We don't do good works to get saved, but as saved believers, we do good works because we are saved, because we're changed. Now, here's the thing that I want you to think about. I hope as a result of thinking on the gospel and reveling in the gospel, that you increasingly have a life that screams, Jesus saves. Your life. Now, you should also talk about it from time to time. That's what it means to share the gospel. But when people observe your life, do they see Jesus saves? Jesus changes. John Stott wrote this in his book on Ephesians. John Stott is a British pastor, great theologian. He said, towards the end of my time as a theological student at Ridley Hall, Cambridge, the Reverend Paul Gibson retired as principal, and a portrait of him was unveiled. In expressing his thanks, he paid a well-deserved compliment to the artist. He said that in the future, he believed people looking at the picture would not ask, who is that man, but rather, who painted that portrait? 
Now, in our case, God has displayed more than skill. A patient after a major operation is a living testimony to the surgeon's skill. And a condemned man after a reprieve to his sovereign's mercy. We are both. We are exhibits of God's skill and trophies of his grace. So I would ask you as you think about the gospel, when people look at your life, when they look at the portrait of your life, are you more excited about them seeing the picture? Or are you more excited about them thinking about the artist? You see, as we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get more excited about people seeing what God is doing in us than who we ever become. And if your life is all about you, if it is all about making you look good, if it's all about keeping up with the Joneses or the Smiths, if that's what your life is all about, I would call you to the gospel and say, come back to the center of your gospel living. It's about Jesus. That's what we ought to be most excited about. Is the gospel the center of your life or is it the periphery? Is it the center of your heart and your thinking, of your choices? Now, we've talked about the gospel as relational. We've talked about the gospel as facts. We've talked about the gospel at the center. There's one more thing I want to point out, and maybe you caught this already. I said the gospel, we need to embrace it. We need to receive it by faith. We need to rest in it. We need to live in it. We need to celebrate it. We need to share it. But here's the danger. We can go through this whole discussion and be left with an it philosophy. If you have your pen, or if you're keeping notes in some way, I want to ask you to go back to each of those last five and cross out it and put Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is not about a better philosophy, a better way to do life. It's not even a great story about God's love for us. It is centered in a person, Jesus Christ. So when we're thinking about the gospel, we should be thinking about receiving Jesus Christ, resting in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We should think about living in Jesus, celebrating Jesus, and sharing Jesus. Jesus. The second pillar is, it's about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior. Is your life centered on Jesus, or is it on something else? And I would call you, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've made Jesus the periphery of your universe instead of the center of it, as we sing this song, I'm going to call you to respond to God and say, forgive me. God, I want Jesus to be the center. I want Jesus and the gospel to be the center, but I want Jesus to be in the middle of everything that is meaningful to me. Or maybe you're here and you've never embraced Jesus. It's about a relationship. Maybe you've never embraced him. You've heard about him. You like him. You like the story of Christmas. You even think that uh, the cross makes sense, but you've never taken the step to embrace him. Today could be that day, and I'm gonna ask you if you're in that place Tell him right now. Tell God, I'm a sinner. We're not going to make a show. We're not going to ask you to come up. Just tell God in your heart. He's listening. Tell him, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin, was raised. And I want to follow Jesus. Tell him that right now.
Father, we ask that in this moment, Lord, that you would center our church both now and in the future on the gospel. Lord, it's unbelievable that we can come into your presence. We don't need a mediator. Jesus was our mediator. We don't need another human being to help us come talk to you. We, just, we can just walk into your throne room because of what Jesus has done, and we can come talk to you. God, I pray that you would hear the prayers on the hearts of the people in this room right now. God, I pray that you would graciously work by your spirit, reminding us of where we have allowed other things to become the center, perhaps. God, would we be a church that celebrates Jesus as never before, that shares Jesus with others, that lives in Jesus, that rests in Jesus, that embraces Jesus. God, make this a church centered on Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio, located at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Meeting with God is a listener-supported ministry which strives to share the good news of Jesus Christ each day. Our prayer is that this radio program will lift people's eyes and hearts to our Savior, Jesus. If you would like to be a part of the Meeting with God team of financial donors who make this ministry possible, please visit our website, verticalchurch.life. We are thankful for your partnership in the gospel. And as always, we hope to meet you back here at the very same time tomorrow for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.